Thank you, Dwayne and Janice. It's an honor for me to be here today. Tallawood Baptist Church means so much uh, to Truett Seminary. And also to Baylor University, your pastor is vice chair of the Board of Regents. Um, But especially to Truett Seminary, so many of you have been so generous. You've mentored students uh, that have gone to the seminary and have gone on to serve our Lord. Uh, This is not about Baylor. At Truett Seminary, we get students from every school all over. In fact, uh, and so I love them all. In fact, I preached last Sunday at First Baptist Bryan, and I love them too. So... (laughs) A couple of years ago, uh, we had a, uh, a boot camp for church starters. And we brought uh, church starters from all over the country. And, and, and indeed, it was a boot camp because uh, this ministry uh, takes special skills. It also takes a special calling, a, a special person. Because they're not simply trying to reach out to disaffected members from some other congregation and bring them in. But they're trying to bring the gospel to people who may never have heard it before. Who may have never darkened the doors of the church. And so I sat in on some of the sessions and and, and I was surprised to learn the three B's of church starting. The first B is that you get people to feel like they belong. Then you teach them what to believe. Then you teach them how to behave. Now this caught me by surprise because I'm the son of a pastor and the first B I ever heard in church was, David Garland, you better behave. And I've been in a lot of churches where they expect you to believe the right things, behave in a certain way, and then we'll think about whether we'll let you belong or not. It's the attitude, I think, that you find in the Pharisee in Jesus' parable, which is recorded in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 18. Luke 18, beginning with verse 9. Luke tells us that Jesus spoke this parable to those who were confident in themselves that they were righteous and despised the rest. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed these things about himself. God I thank you that I'm not like the rest of men, the robbers, the unjust, the adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I tithe all that I acquire. The tax collector stood afar off. He did not want to lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, make an atonement for me, the sinner. I tell you, it was this one 
who went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted. May God add the blessing to a reading of his word. I'm absolutely convinced that when Jesus first uttered his parables, that that original audience would have been shocked, they would have been surprised, they would have been floored by the conclusions. The problem is that most of us have heard these parables more than once. And so we know how it ends, and, and so they kind of lost their kick. It's like a joke. You've heard the second or third time, it loses its punch. And so when we hear the parable about the Samaritan, we think, of course, he stopped to help that mugging victim along the side of the road. Because that's what he does. He just kind of patrols up and down the Jericho Road in his four-wheel drive rescue vehicle helping mugging victims. Or when we read or hear the parable of the man who had the father who had two sons. And one of the sons takes his inheritance, goes to a far country and blows it. And then he comes to himself in his pigsty and decides to return home to his father. And we think, of course, his father is going to receive him with a bear hug. And he's going to kill the fatted calf rather than kill the son. He is the loving father. And this parable. We've heard it before. We know who the hero is going to be, coming out smelling like a rose. And and so we know it is the tax collector who cries out in his desperation, humbles himself before God. We know that he is the one who is going to be declared righteous rather than that Pharisee. We don't like Pharisees. We don't like those people who are self-righteous, who are smug, who look down their noses at everyone else. And so the problem is that the Pharisee and the tax collector, when we hear it, they've kind of changed places. There's no surprise. I mean, what would be the shocker today is if I were to say to you, and it was that Pharisee who took his religion seriously, who went down to his house justified rather than that scapegrace tax collector. And I wonder, can we hear this parable afresh so that it speaks to us? I mean, Luke tells us that Jesus spoke this parable to those who were confident in themselves that they were righteous and looked down at others. Can we hear this parable afresh? It starts out, two men go to the temple to pray. And I know we're conditioned by that word prayer to think that they're going to the temple for private devotions. But nothing could be further from the truth. They are going for corporate worship with all of the people gathered for the sacrifice 
for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. It occurred every single day, morning and evening. The priests would go through all of their sacrifices, and the people would be outside praying. You read about it in the early chapters of Luke when, uh, when Zechariah is, is doing his thing, his, sacrifice, his priestly duty at the incense, uh, at the altar of the incense, and it says all the people are outside praying. Or when Peter and John in Acts go to the temple at the hour of prayer, they, they are outside waiting for the high priest to come out and give the priestly benediction. The sacrifice has been completed. Your sins have been forgiven. That is, your unintentional sins. And the priest says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And when you hear those words, you know that the sacrifice has been completed until the afternoon, and you are right with God. So two men go to the temple to pray. One is a Pharisee. And Jesus doesn't use a Pharisee as an example simply because he loved to pick on Pharisees. It is because everyone knew that the Pharisees represented the gold standard of righteousness. Pharisees took their religion more seriously than other people. They were devout. They were strict in their interpretation of the law. He is an example of righteousness. And he knows it. He goes to the temple, prays out loud, basically strutting his stuff. He prays. It's a good prayer. He gives, he attributes all of his good qualities to God. He says, I thank you, God. I'm not like the rest of mankind. He takes his religion seriously. He fasts twice a week. This is not some Weight Watchers campaign. It is a demonstration of his devotion twice a week. He only had to fast once a year in the Day of Atonement. He fasts twice a week, perhaps as an atonement for his own sins or those of others. He tithes. He tithes, and the Greek is very clear, he tithes all that he acquires. Not just a tenth of his income. He tithes all that he acquires. He is a Pharisee. He will not consume anything that had not been tithed. And just in case you go buy a car and the car manufacturer hadn't tithed or the car dealer had not tithed, he will tithe the purchase price of anything he buys. So he will not consume anything that had not been tithed. Wouldn't you love to have people like that in your congregation? No budget problems with folks like that. He's a good man. He doesn't need to ask anything of God. He's so good, I imagine he expects in the judgment he'll be in the express checkout line. Ten sins or less. 
zoom right through. And, and, and when you're this good, you look around at other people and say, I thank God I'm not like them. And you see that tax collector standing over there in the back and you say, thank God I'm not like him. He doesn't have a prayer. Now don't tell me that most of us aren't like that. A couple years ago, I I was flying out of DFW a lot and, and it seemed like every flight was uh, canceled mechanical problems or weather problems, and once again, I was going somewhere to preach, and 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 the flight was canceled. And I've learned, I've seen people just hassle the the poor gate agents, and it's not their fault. And I've learned you just need to be patient and as gracious as you can be, and things will work out. So I'm standing there in line. Comes my turn. I come up to the desk and. And uh, somebody sidles up next to me at the same time. The gate agent looks up and, and says to me and to us, are, are you two together? And I think, you have got to be blind. You've got to be blind and crazy. I am going somewhere to preach, and I've lost my luggage before, so I'll wear my suit just in case, suit and tie. I'm standing here. This guy, he's got this long uh, hair in a a, uh, ponytail. He's got eyebrow rings, ear rings, nose rings, mouth rings. He's in a sleeveless Harley Davidson T-shirt with tattoos up and down both arms. If I just described you, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be... But he asked, are we together? I'm thinking, you've got to be crazy. I just said, no, we're not. He said no even more emphatically. I don't know what his problem was with me. (laughs) But (laughs) we're like that. We look around and, and, and we judge other people. Fred Craddock came to the chapel in semin- at the seminary and, and he, he told this story about preaching at Riverside Church in New York City, this grand historic church. And, and the pastor was away and he said, it would be most convenient if you stay in my apartment. It's just a couple blocks away from the, from the church. And so he goes into the apartment, and uh, there's a note on the table that says, Fred, I'm sorry, there's nothing in the refrigerator, but we serve breakfast at the church. You can go down there tomorrow and, and have breakfast at the church. He opens up the refrigerator. There's another note that says, Fred, I told you there's nothing in the refrigerator. Just go on down to the church tomorrow, and, and, and we'll have breakfast there. And, and, and he's thinking, you know, when you're a hit-and-run preacher... Uh, he's thinking, I'll have breakfast with the staff and and they'll uh, clue me in on on what I'm supposed to do, where I'm supposed to stand, sit, and and all those kinds of things. So he gets up the next morning, goes down to the church, and, and there's this long line that looks like all the disheveled people in Manhattan just standing out there. Nobody recognizes him. 
No one says, oh, Dr. Craddock, please come up to the front. He's waiting in line with everyone else for his spoonful of, sauce, uh, of, of scrambled eggs, his sausage link, his cup of coffee. He goes in and sits down across from a man who has this impeccably tailored suit that he has been sleeping in at least for six or seven weeks. They strike up a conversation, and he asks them, do you come here often? He said, yes, I do. I didn't used to. I, I, I used to live with my daughter. She said I could stay with her as long as I stayed sober. But I slipped up, and she kicked me out. She said she didn't want her kids around some old drunk. So here I come said, I used to be very successful up in Albany. I was a stockbroker, and, and the bottle got me. I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost my family. And here I am. He asked, well, what about you? And Fred Craddock said, well, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, and I'm a preacher. He said, yeah, the bottle gets all of us, doesn't it? <laughs> And Fred Craddock felt this twinge, and, and he wanted to take his glass and, and stand up and, and hit it to get everyone's attention and say, well, I'm not with you. I don't belong with you. In, in a few minutes, I'm going to be upstairs preaching the gospel in one of the great historic pulpits of the land while you're down here waiting for your next meal. I don't belong with you losers. He didn't do it because in a few minutes he would be upstairs preaching the gospel that says we're all saved by the same grace. No one better than anyone else. But when we look around and we see that tax collector way in the back, we think, Instead of taking the Lord's side, he's taking the Roman's side. He's a cheat. Everyone knows that tax collectors would defraud people. And we despise him. And he will not lift up his eyes to heaven and beat his breast because he thinks that God feels about him exactly the way everyone else did. And he knows the Bible. The Bible says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. He has neither clean hands nor a pure heart. And here he is at the, at the, 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 that time in the worship where the sacrifice for the forgiveness of the sins of the people is being carried out. And he knows that those sacrifices will not cover his sin. And he cries out, Lord, make an atonement for me, a sinner. Actually, it says the sinner. Not a sinner, the sinner. 
And if, if you follow along with your Bible, you know, nearly all the translations say, Lord, have mercy on P. And, uh, and I don't want to bore you with a Greek lesson, but that, that is not the word that is used here for mercy. The word that is used here is used in the New Testament for atonement. And what he's crying out is for God somehow to make a sacrifice that will cover his sins. A sacrifice that will take away his shame. A sacrifice that will make him at one with God. A sacrifice so that he might know peace. cries out to God. And you wonder, the parable ends, and you wonder if God is going to hear the prayer of someone that low. And Jesus says, yes, God does. This one went down to his house justified rather than the other. And it's very clear that God's grace comes to each and every one of us without distinction when none of us have any merit. God's grace comes to each of us without distinction when none of us have earned it. God's grace comes to each and every one of us when we don't have a leg to stand on and it catches us by surprise because sometimes we didn't even hope that God could save us. Let me get back to my plane trip. The, the, the gate agent asked, are you together? And, and we both said no. It turned out we were. He put us in seats right next to one another. I don't know whether just somebody missed their flight or he just had a sense of humor. <laughs> But we struck up this conversation. And you know what males do. They, they, the first thing they ask, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I teach at a seminary, George Truett Theological Seminary, Baylor University. He said, seminary, what's that? I said, well, a seminary is where men and women who are called by God, come to study to prepare themselves to go serve God in, in churches as ministers or, uh, or to go be missionaries? He said, yeah. You know, I found Jesus last year, or, or rather, Jesus found me. My life was in the pits. I am absolutely convinced that I kept on doing what I was doing. I'd be dead today. But somebody out of the blue came to me and said that God loved me just as I am and that Jesus died as a, as a sacrifice for my sins and that if I accept Jesus as Lord, I, it will change my life. And I was so low, I was willing to risk that it was true and it did change my life. He said, do you know Jesus? <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. <laughs> I thought, what kind of question is that? I'm a seminary professor. But if you know seminary professors, you know it's a good question. <laughs> I said, 
I do. He is my Lord and my Savior. He reached out his hand and said, I'm with you, brother. I took hold of his hand and said, I'm with you, brother. And I wanted to say, and I now see myself more clearly through you. And I now see God's grace more clearly through you. That we are brothers in Christ, standing in the need of prayer, saved by the same grace that is marvelous, that is amazing, that catches all of us by surprise. There are folks out there who need a place to belong. Where we say to them, we're with you, brother, sister. There are folks out there who need a place to be taught what to believe. And there are folks out there who need a place to be taught how to behave as disciples of Jesus. I'm so thankful for this church, for its ministries stretching out all over the community and around the world that you are such a place where people experience God's amazing grace.